Hello and welcome to the Data Driven Ram, the top data focused Los Angeles Rams podcast, helping you to win your water cooler conversations. I'll start off the show today with my thoughts, the highlight data point of the week. We'll talk with Joshua Newman from The Greatest Show on Grass about the state of the Rams, learn about the history of the Rams with my elderly neighbor, and we'll finish by getting you ready for the Giants game with the Cuts. So turn on, tune in, and drop out for the next 20 minutes or so. I'll get you caught up on your Los Angeles Rams. The London series brought back some good memories from my time in the UK, and a great time it was with Cove, who you'll be meeting in a few weeks, and C1. I'd love to tell you vivid memories of inspiration at the Tate Modern, or the National Gallery, or how I was awed by the history of Parliament in Westminster, but mostly I remember lots of beers with some good friends and good people at different local pubs. And the Arsenal fan who broke his hand punching the wall after the team conceded, then staying the rest of the match at the bar to make sure they secured the victory before tending to his hand and going to the hospital, which taught me a very important lesson about British fans. They're total psychos. No, just kidding. They're great fans. And I can see why the NFL would want to court them so much. While I think it sucks to lose a home game here in Los Angeles and perhaps puts us at a disadvantage in our division, personally speaking, I can't wait to go to London next year and cheer on the Rams and the Arsenal so Stan Kroenke can get more of my money. I'll talk a little bit more about the NFL in London in our next segment, the Highlight Data Point of the Week. $13 million. The NFL received 13 million viewers for their NFL broadcast in the UK in 2015, and according to their numbers, roughly double what they received in 2014. It seems like the international push seems to be working in Europe. So it'll be interesting to see what results from the push to the Far East when the Rams host a 2018 home game in China. Now, we move from season's future to the game last week in the next segment, where we'll speak with Joshua Newman of the Greatest Show on Grass podcast about the game with the Lions. Joshua Newman from The Greatest Show on Grass, the Los Angeles Rams podcast, to help us break down the Lions game. Joshua, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dee. So, Joshua runs an excellent LA Rams podcast. It blends Rams talk with the Rams connection to Hollywood. Joshua, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast and your history with the Rams? Sure. I've been a Rams fan since uh, 1983, and I, I definitely rooted for the team when they were in St. Louis, but uh, I missed them. Um, for 21 years when they weren't in L.A., so I started really delving into the, the history of the L.A. Rams and specifically um, discovering a lot of, like, movies and TV episodes with uh, with players from the Rams in them, and that gave me, like, a new experience with a team that I wasn't otherwise having new experiences with. So I'm very interested in how the Rams express themselves in popular culture, not just on the field. And I'm also just really interested in in the Rams' past as much as their present and future. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for that. But uh, down to the business at hand, uh, the game against the Lions. Tough loss, 
away in a close game. What did you think of the overall team's performance? You know, I, I sort of expected this to be the outcome. They're thin, the field, and, and they're really vulnerable at a lot of different positions. And I think Detroit really picked on Tremaine Johnson being out of the game. Stafford played really well for the Lions. That was probably the best quarterback they faced all season. And, um, you know, and I think offensively, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the output. I don't think you can say you're, you're disappointed. I, don't, I think it's It'd be tough to, to find fault with the offense on this one. They they couldn't stop the Lions yeah. when they needed to on the defensive side. And you certainly, after those last stands against Tampa Bay and Seattle, you, I don't know. I kind of just – I did expect that they would rise to the occasion and Greg Williams would dial something up to stop the Lions when they needed it. And they simply couldn't do that. And um, so I think this one goes to the defense. And I, I guess uh, the, the coaching staff, just because of the penalties, but in general, you know, I mean, pretty psyched about um, what's happening on the edge uh, with Kenny Britt and, and Mike Quick and Brian. Sorry, Mike Quick. Talk about the history. Uh, going back to the Eagles in the '80s, Brian Quick, um, who played pretty <laughs> large in this game. Well, obviously we know the outcome, but at the time. What did you think of the fourth down decision go for the touchdown at the end of the half instead of taking the three points? Yeah, um, I think I didn't have a problem with it. I, I, Jenna, I have to throw out a caveat. I don't quibble with like in-game strategy decisions. I don't. Okay. Generally, I think it's the lowest common denominator of criticism. I, you know, if you can just it's easy, you pick on anything that didn't go well and you, you start raising your eyebrow to it. So, I, yeah, I didn't either way. I wouldn't have really found fault, to be quite honest. I do think it was probably the least imaginative play call of the first half, which was strange given that it was the most critical moment in the game. I, I felt like it was a, a Jeff Fisher moment, so telling Rob Boris, here's what I want to do, as opposed to something that Rob Boris uh, dialed up. Yeah, obviously we we didn't run the ball again. Todd Gurley didn't do much better than than Zach Center on the other side of the ball, so um, still an issue. But don't have much of a problem for going for it on fourth down inside the. I mean, the one yard line, of course. I mean, it's it's a statement play. Uh, it's just the nature of the statement. I, I might have preferred some, <laughs> some sort of creative blocking or uh, play action, even if it ended up pitch, even. But yeah, but then again, you know, this could have, this was kind of, you got to have faith that Gurley can get one yard up the gut. So not much of a problem on that. Okay. So you mentioned the offense, definitely not on them this game, but the biggest output of the season, 387 yards. And then if you look at the passing game, maybe 600 passing yards the last two weeks. Has it surprised you how prolific the passing game has been? Yeah, I think, um, you read different things about other teams stacking the box against Gurley. I mean, it definitely looks like Brian Quick and Kenny Britt, they're not getting double teamed, let's put it that way. Um, and But they're making the most of it for the first time in years. And the Rams have a new wide receiver coach this year um, named Mike Grow, Al Grow's son. You know, maybe something to chalk up to him, the emergence of, of these two players, Kenny Britt and Brian Quick. They look like legitimate NFL wide receivers. Uh, for the first time, and with Case 
Keenum, you know, looking like, you know, he at least knows how to run this offense. They're becoming more efficient on third down. They're scoring more points. They're gaining more yards, and they're doing it without a running game. I also give it a lot of that to Rob Borat. Still don't quite know what to make of the opening game against the 49ers. You know, there were reports of the Rams tipping off their play calls. I mean, I, that's a weird thing to speculate about, but given what's happened in the last five weeks, uh, you have to look back at that and wonder whether the Niners were cued up, not just the Rams' output the last five weeks, but the 49ers' ability to not defend anyone. So I'm going to sort of treat that game one as an outlier um, in terms of the offensive side of the, the ball. But uh, Robert, Robert Morris has gotten a lot more creative. He's, he's uh, you know, this, a Turkey Hill vanilla offense has turned into a Ben and Jerry's <laughs> boom chuckalaka cookie core uh, <laughs> offense. And I'm all in on him right now. I think he's, he's I see, I do see, you know, people poo-pooed uh, Jeff Fisher a couple of games ago saying that the offense was improving, but he was right. It really is. Yeah. Very good point. I like this is the first time I've heard the offense compared to Boom Chakalaka. <laughs> like that. Okay. First time I've, I've felt I could do that since uh, the greatest <laughs> show on turf. Yeah. Okay. So on to the defensive side of the ball. 31 points given up by the defense. Do you point that entirely on the injuries, or do you think there's other factors? Uh, yeah, I think there are other factors. I mean, I think they're maybe an overrated defense. Uh, I think... When they were three and one, they were largely scheming in order to succeed. They were giving up a lot of yards. Their defensive line was not dominant. Um, they were playing a lot better all over the field, but they also were just they were they just came into this year so thin all around the field that any injury was going to force them to bring in a replacement level player. So you know, the other factors to me is just what they did off season. Um, how little they improved. I mean, they only picked one defensive player in the draft. They weren't going to improve in that respect. And then they, you know, the decision to to let Janoris Jenkins go and, and replace him with Cody Sensabaugh and, and uh, re up Eugene Sims. I mean, I think if you add up what they gave Cody Sensabaugh, you know, Eugene Sims and a little bit of uh, Tavon's extension money, they could have had Janoris playing DB right now. They didn't want to roll the dice on a five-year contract uh, on, on him. And thus far this year, they've, they're going to be reminded of it this week as they go up against Jenkins and the Giants. It was a big mistake. They're also going up, up against Cody Sensabaugh and the Giants um, <laughs> after, after cutting him, after signing him to it three-year, $19 million contract. So I think personnel is the overlooked part of it. But it's a comment on their front office decision-making. Their two biggest improvements were losing two guys that didn't belong on the field in the first place, James Laurinaitis and Jared Cook. Those have been the biggest upgrades this year. The fact that those guys aren't on the field, they added nothing. I mean, they're getting nothing from their draft class nothing from their free agent class. And uh, while some guys on the defensive side have emerged, uh, which, you know, they've had some some good finds uh, drafting sort of diamonds in the rough on the defensive side of the ball, uh, that hasn't happened on offense. Back to your question, is it all on the def? Is it all on injuries? No, I just think it's their, their injuries. This team has been 
luckier than most teams with injuries, much luckier. And one of the best injury years for the Rams since that I can remember. I mean, even Fisher, I mean, it's, it's a little bit underhanded the way he talks about injuries. He'll say, no, injuries are not ex- an excuse. Well, you know, three of our four defense linemen are out this week. Um, <laughs> so that's a bit disingenuous. He's, the takeaway is, oh, my God, he's not accepting excuses, but, my God, we should make this giant excuse for them. But I think they're, they're just thin around the field. They're thin at linebacker. They're thin at corner. And I don't know. I mean, we thought they had such a robust defensive front, but they're not getting a whole lot out of anyone besides Aaron Donald. What do you think of the move of Alex Ogletree to the Mike linebacker? Do you think it's been successful? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, anything that gets Lauren Itis off the field, I, I think, is, is successful. <laughs> Even the Saints last week, I think, came to the conclusion that he was finished. And they have one of the poorer defenses in the league. So I think he plays with a, with passion. I think he is a significant upgrade over Laurinaitis. I think his athleticism is impressive. I think he has a nose for the ball. Uh, I do think he takes strange angles at times. I'd want to combine Ogletree's athleticism with Laurinaitis's know-how. I think then you'd have a you'd have a really good player. Um, but he's far from, you know, the, the weakness of this defense. I like his personality. I think he's a good guy. He has some leadership qualities. I think he's another guy that gets picked on by the referees also. I think especially some of these hits on quarterbacks. There were a couple of really dubious ones earlier in the year. But I like him. You know, it's far from the Rams. Look, the Rams starters aren't their problems. It's who's backing them up. It's the lack of depth to a certain extent, and it's, you know, when depth is your problem, you go trade your whole draft for, for a quarterback. I, you know, this is what happens. You get a, you get Troy Hill starting. Yeah. Troy Hill allowed six receptions on seven targets this last game, and, and quarterbacks have a, a, a 148-plus passer rating against him. You know, he might be a decent prospect. I think he fits what the Rams try to do, what they look for at corner, but he's just getting bullied right now and doesn't belong on a field. I mean, I think that's what, in the modern NFL, with this collective bargaining as a general manager, at the very least, you should try to field a team composed of players who belong in the NFL. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Like, you can't have Cody Wickman as your starting guard. You can't have Troy Hill as your starting cornerback. The other team is just going to spend all day picking on these players yeah, and trying to exploit the weakness. So in the past two weeks, we've come up short on the fake punt, the fourth down run. It's good to be confident in your team, but do you think the coaches are overconfident in this young team's ability to execute such plays? I think I have other issues with coaching. I think overconfidence is not – maybe stubbornness, I would say, a little bit about the team's identity. You know, if Fisher sees something on film leading up to the game and wants to take a risk, I'm all for it. I mean, dude, that's, that's what you're – I like it. You know, it's, it's a game. It's a, I hope the game will be fun and I want to win the game. So if you think you can win the game and you're the coach, you should try to. But when – it doesn't work, and his explanation is, this is who we are, this is what we do. <laughs> I think it's okay to have a philosophy that you win by running the ball. I mean, there's no right or wrong philosophy, 
show on grass podcast in the show notes and give josh a listen and why not subscribe to both of our podcasts because well they're free quality on-demand rams content and your commute sucks just a little bit less with a good rams podcast
Good job. Grew up in California. I know where you're going with this. Let me cut you off here. You've met my girlfriend. The important issue at hand is, is what about the Rams? I mean, getting back on topic, the Rams in 1948. Let me tell you, it was a different time. When you said a guy was both ways, it meant because he played offense and defense. <laughs> we had a Bob Waterfield throwing the passes, Terry Washington running the ball. He's a black, by the way. Unnecessary detail. Yeah, things were good back then. The Rams had a winning record. Over a year away from contending, and the three years away from winning it all. 1948 was good. Plenty of jobs. Incomes were going up. But people were still worried from the Depression. Most important thing, though, no broads running for president. Well, get used to that part. No. We had a good man running for president in 1948. An outsider who told it like it was. Tried to keep the government out of our lives. And keeping America for the impact—that was a strong term. The Dixie Crack. Well, we better leave it at that. Thank you, elderly neighbor, for joining us, and we'll look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. Yeah, sure thing. So, joining us to get ready for the Giants game in London, cuz. Cuz, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dave. Cool. Okay, well, luckily after a tough road loss, we have a home game. Unfortunately, it's 5,500 miles away from Los Angeles. How do you think the trip to London will affect the team? Well, I mean, shit, if the Rams haven't traveled enough in the past seven to nine months, uh, I think it'll fit right in with their travel schedule. I did some research on the London game from last year, and dude, it looked like a fucking Super Bowl. Like, it looked like a, a grand international huge game, like, unreal. So, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of hype. Um, I think London is maybe eight hours difference time, so I think uh, getting on the right sleep schedule might be a factor. Who knows? Yeah, I think the travel is something that the Rams have come accustomed to. Yeah, should be a thriller. Cool. Okay. Well, getting to the game, from the defensive matchup, the Giants are third in passing yards this year. What are the Rams going to have to do to contain the Giants' high-powered passing attack? Yeah, they went big time last week. So the Rams are obviously, I don't know the status of the D-lineman coming back, but dude, our D-line and up front is going to have to get after Eli, put some pressure on him, get him get in his head. Honestly, our secondary with a few injuries is going to have to hold on for dear life, or it's going to be a long London game and a long flight home. Yeah. Well, I mean, specifically, Odell Beckham Jr. blew it up last week, which is great for my fantasy team, but how will the Rams banged up secondary contain him? They're going to have to double him. <laughs> to my own football knowledge, you usually put two guys on the one guy that's as good as two guys. So <laughs> you try to eliminate, eliminate him from the game, but, dude, they got Victor Cruz. They got other guys that are going to gash at you. So, honestly, uh, I think the biggest thing, is don't get beat downfield or over your head. Keep it all in front of you. Try to contain it. I would imagine that Dealey, our D-line, is going to get after the quarterback, and that's going to force them to do little short passes or even, like, sub under 10-yard passes. And, uh, dude, just keep everything in front of you because if not, dude, the, giant, the Giants passing game will destroy the DBs this week. That's true. Okay, well, to the offensive side, what do you expect from Casey Gang going against the 19th-ranked defense? Well, 
considering that the Giants are probably going to throw up some points, I think Chappelle's defense is a killer offense. Our offense is going to have to put up big numbers this week, whether it's running, whether it's Kasigan, whether it's passing down the field. we got to figure a way, figure out a way to put some serious numbers up because that's the only way that we're going to compete with the team. That puts up huge numbers, so we're going to have to put some points on the board. Where do you stand? What are your predictions for the game this week? Prediction? My predictions, uh, yeah, it might be another solid ass whooping, and it's going to be some uh, R&R on the way home from London. In all optimism, I think we can compete with them, but can we do it as consistently and, you know, not have too many penalties or just dumb mistakes on our move, like pick sixes? That's something that we absolutely can't afford because if their offense is going to put up points, <laughs> their defense should not be putting up points. So, yeah, dude, we might be in the – we should probably enjoy the uh, tourist attractions more to distract us from the big L that we might be served this week. Gotcha. Okay. So they're going to have to spend a little bit of time at the Tate Modern or the Globe Theater or most likely just a bunch of pubs in King's Cross. Yeah, I would say uh, you, you might find Jeff Fisher at the pub after a big loss. Um, <laughs> but I heard they have great beer over there, so he might be in for a treat. Well, they have plenty of beer, that's for certain. Okay, well, thank yeah. you very much for joining us, Cuz, and getting us ready for the game. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you Joshua Newman for breaking down the Lions game for us, and the Cuz for getting us ready for the Giants game. The Rams? Well, this might be a tough one, but you know what? I'm going the other way. I think we may be able to take this one. So hopefully we get back to our winning ways. Get in there, you Rams! I'm going to take next week the bye week off, so don't expect an episode, but I'll be back the following week for the Panthers. Expect that episode thursday night if you have any questions in the interim you can reach me at datadrivenram at gmail.com all one word Thank you.